I have returned, and it's time to burn. This is Alex Will 64 of Alex Will 64 and Ether Reels on Instagram back with the fifth episode of the Ether Realist Podcast. Podcast comes from my Ethereality Institute LLC. Um, my business here that uh, where I do uh, consultation, uh, metaphysical counseling, uh, astrology. I now uh, teach uh, or train people in spiritual warfare, you know, just to protect themselves on a spiritual level. I have my books here that I've written, um, you know, uh, going, spanning back, I guess, if you want to add in the second edition, back to, what, 2009? So all those things and services there. I also have my essays and everything. You can go to my Linktree account. uh, That's going to be... listed here with these uh episode and the uh website ether-ins.teachable.com where you can go, go to my online courses um emotional baggage claim and inner work suite which is the uh extended version of emotional baggage claim and uh, my other website acrosensum.com so yes i told you in the previous episode four we was talking about sex and species i told you i was coming back to do a part two because we ain't done yet. It may even be a part three, but it may be down the line sometime. I don't know. It depends on... I'm doing these episodes as uh, I'm being inspired to do them. Because I, I, I don't want to do it where it's like, oh, every Thursday or every Tuesday and Thursday or every Friday I come... Nah. This, you have to understand inspiration. Inspiration doesn't work on those strict or those structured time frames or schedules that humans do here on earth you never know when you're going to get inspired to speak about something or create something or do something so that's when i go in with these episodes and everything else i do is all based on me being inspired to do it so sex and species getting back into it yeah so previous episode we were speaking about the uh secret link between alchemy uh sexuality genetics chemistry and how the secret key to this whole alchemical thing or this thing people talk about alchemy is it's microcosm it's a it's a it's a microscopic venture or adventure into you know our cells our proteins our dna because you gotta go by the whole connection of if you're talking about you know, Isis thesis and the balls of fire written by the Judy K. King author where she talks about or reveals how the hieroglyphs and the Medu Netur, you know what I'm saying, the Netaru or the, the Egyptian gods and goddesses or whatever and the Egyptian figures in mythology are all a representation of what's going on at the molecular genetic level of uh, each being. And how there's a process, you know, a process of um, doing something on that genetic level in order to change species, in order to become something new. So that implies that the human being or the Homo sapiens sapiens, you know, say that's our scientific name, our uh, binomial nomenclature you know say something i learned in sixth grade science somewhere or seventh grade science um 
we have to, you have to look at what what type of nomenclature do we give ourselves when we become that or what is that because it was broken down to be by somebody that was more um, uh, versed in you know this root working science that we are kind of like dogs compared to the wolves that are in our ancestral line we're the domesticated version of what we once were you know what I'm saying? And yeah, slave trade, as far as like black people is concerned, you know, the Atlantic slave trade or whatever, and know that time, that did play a part in domesticating us. But that's another talk for another day. We're talking about um, genetics and, you know, saying sex and species. So what do we call that species that we become? Because, yeah, today I am just kind of theorizing and philosophizing about this, but this is a goal for me to achieve. You know what I'm saying? It may not be for you to evolve at this point. I don't know. Perhaps this is your first time hearing that this human body that you have is not the completed version of what you are. And that, yes, you are supposed to, or I ain't going to say supposed to, you have the potential, excuse me, you know what I'm saying, the potential to become this new species. Yeah, the potential to become it. Is that is it's it's if it's as if you took a dog like how, how I was talking about before. I don't know if it was the podcast or whatever, but I was talking about how you yeah, it was episode four, the last episode. I was talking about how you can cross a chihuahua with a uh, Doberman pincher. And come out with a new species of dog. A Doberman Wawa. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a cheap pincher. I, I don't know how you want to, you know, combine the, the names of both of these different species of domesticated dog to come with a new dog. But that's basically what needs to happen. This is what we are. This is what we are to become. Which is one reason why, you know, I don't really have that much trust for mainstream science. Because they will omit things that they find. You, when, you, when you study um, um, Western uh, Greco-Roman science, you're not getting the whole picture of what they... They're not giving you everything that they have done experiments on. They're not telling you that. Now, they'll wait 20 years down the line before they reveal something to the public. Like to make it public knowledge that, yeah, we did this experiment and this is what we found. The stuff where they're talking about quantum science, this is probably stuff that they found out a century ago. And only now did, you know, whoever was the gatekeepers of this type of science or this study into science or this, you know, what I'm saying this mainstream community of science. Only now, you know, or in the past couple of de decades are they revealing these things to us. So. If you're just going by what they're talking about as far as genetics, chemistry, uh, biology, and whatever other science you can come up with, you'll probably be years behind how far they are along and what they're with their study. Because there's a lot of independent scientists out here. Like they don't, they're not attached to any type of like college or university. Because usually science scientists are. Um, backed by or sponsored by the university that they graduate from or that they're going to school with. 
where they're going to school at. And then, you know, they apply for these various government grants and grants from different corporations and partnerships with different corporations or wealthy people to fund their scientific study or their excursions or their explorations. You know what I'm saying? So, when you see, like, for example, when you see scientists over there in Egypt still uncovering artifacts from Nile Valley civilization, someone paid those, if those scientists aren't well off to, to, to pay that, it's just like watching the Jurassic Park movie. Like the first movie, they showed you how, you know, the dude that owned Jurassic Park, he pretty much paid, you know, um, the main characters to come to that island to do those studies and to, you know what I'm saying, excavate and do whatever he paid them to do. So that's that was a billionaire guy. So this is what they go out and do. So if you're an independent scientist, for example, you may have come up with or found so many different things, but as far as publishing it, as far as getting it out into public channels and networks, you're probably going to get, uh, you're going to run into a wall because whoever's gatekeeping the science of it will be like, nope, we're not putting that out in the public. We're not giving, we're not making that public knowledge. And a lot of times these uh, scientists, you know, whether they are independent or do work for um, someone or a school or a university, they can get ostracized. They can get blackballed. They can get dismissed as pseudoscience. They'll throw that word around, pseudoscience, if they don't want the public to believe or accept that something has been discovered scientifically. They'll do that. They'll say, oh, well, that person, he's pseudoscience. That's pseudoscience. They'll do that. Meanwhile, in their secret societies, they know all about what they just called pseudoscience. So be careful of that. So the reason why I'm saying that is, what if these people also found out that you as a human being, so-called, can evolve, or using that word in quotation marks too, evolve into a new species of a, a new creature, a new species. And I'm not just talking about crossing your DNA with like, I don't know, like they're doing some sort of genetic mad scientist engineering where they're crossing your DNA with a, like a cat or a dog or, you know, a fish or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a natural evolution. Because if going back to X-Men, which X-Men is kind of like one of the most uh, excellent examples of genetics, even though they don't really, like I said, they use that type of story within the comics to kind of like, um, reveal things that you know they wouldn't put out into you know any type of scientific public journal or something like that they'll use like x-men or some other superhero or some other movie you know so they'll put that stuff in science fiction so that you'll look at it as fiction it's just like what uh, the, the little the little white dude was talking about in the faculty We don't give it. We don't uh, second guess the, the the shit that they call science fiction. What if a lot of that ain't even fiction? I mean, I just was talking about a couple episodes ago about the midi chlorians and how they basically changed the word up and is it's it looks just like the word uh, mitochondria. And in that movie, they told you, or that Star Wars movie, they told you what these midi chlorians do. But you'll never know that if you like if you were just studying mitochondria in Western uh, mainstream science where they have gatekeepers, they put it in the fiction. 
So going back to what my main point is, what if you are to become a new species and you don't even know it? What if they're tr they're making every effort possible to make sure you do not become that new species? Because the reason I brought up X-Men is because one of the recurring themes in X-Men is humans being afraid that they are not the top of the life form chain. I ain't going to say food chain, but the life form chain. Like they're not the most advanced organism in existence. So when you come across these mutants, for example, like Professor X or Jean Grey, Wolverine, Cyclops, Apocalypse, like this is a threat to the regular human. Because there's a more advanced creature out there, more advanced than him. As the human being. You got, you know what I'm saying? If we just take a dive into that science fiction or that comic book fiction, we got people that can blast lasers out of their eyes. We got people who can move things with their mind and uh, uh, hold the Phoenix Force, like with Jean Grey, Dark Phoenix. Or how they say, like, within that storyline, like, how um, Professor X, you know what I'm saying, is one of the strongest or most powerful psychics in the, in that universe. What if that's your next step in evolution? Hell, they even came out with an X-Men Evolution um, animated series, which is, I would recommend people watch that, by the way. I mean, it's not, it doesn't have that classic feel like the regular X-Men animated series that came out in the 90s. But the X-Men Evolution, especially where they start dealing with Apocalypse. Please watch that if you could. You know what I'm saying? And especially with po Apocalypse, that version of Apocalypse in that story. He was all about getting the rest of humanity to evolve. So his whole grand scheme was to activate what is called the X gene within humans and turn them all into mutants. So his whole thing was like, it's time to um, jumpstart the evolution for human beings into a new creature, into a new species. That was his whole thing. So I'm like, OK, now y'all putting this in cartoons. So I'm convinced that these people know these gatekeepers or these people that are in these secret society, secret science societies, let's put it that way. They know that there's a new creature to come. Because there's a lot of focus on genetics nowadays. In microscopic organisms, for example, coronavirus or COVID-19. So nuclear war is something that you don't fear as much as COVID-19 now. Because nobody was really fear no nuclear. Nobody really fears nuclear war. You know what I'm saying? Because you had to have it happen to you for you to even start to fear something like that. It's not going to scare anybody. You know what I'm saying? It may scare people who already had a, been affected by the bomb. You know what I'm saying? Like you go to Japan, but, you know, with the whole Godzilla thing. But here, we're not afraid of no nuclear war. Who cares? We already know that th these nations are bluffing anyway. That's not really scaring and keeping anybody in check. So you need something that, you know, you can say someone has a bug. 
something invisible, something that people can't even see with their naked eye is causing people to get sick and die, according to their media. So with this focus on things on a microscopic and a microbial or microcosmic level, it stands the reason that there may be a plot or a, a conspiracy, not to be a theorist about it, but a conspiracy to keep our genetics at a certain level where it doesn't rise above that level or go to another type of species. I.e. they're halting evolution. So if you talk to any new age person right now, and this is what they, you know, I would agree with them with is that we're entering a 5G universe or a 5D dimension or, or um, uh, transformation of the existence that we're in. We're elevating. So if you if, if you have millions and millions of people that are supposed to be elevating and supposed to be evolving and ascending to a new height. That's a threat to the system keeping us or any type of government or colonization systems at play, kind of trying to keep us, you know, what I'm saying uh, locked down. That's a that's a direct threat. And then again, going back to X-Men, that's one of the things that they put in that storyline, how humans are afraid that they are not the most advanced creatures in the universe or the cosmos. And that sense of underlying fear and threat that there's something more advanced than you that could uh, do you the same way that you do lesser animals. You know what I'm saying? But again, I, I know that we are supposed to become a new species. And the secret to it is in alchemy. Because in alchemy, that's what the that's the plan. That's the the process of becoming that new thing. If you look at something as simple as a nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. That's esoteric. That's a cult. Because it's referencing the fall of man and how he broke into a two different or a few different pieces. And now he must get back his pieces to become a complete species of what he's supposed to be again. Because in the last episode of this podcast, I was talking about how your, your genome and the, another genome of a microscopic creature that's having a symbiotic or endosymbiotic relationship with you right now, your th those genomes are supposed to cross. Notice the word I said cross or merge. In X-Men, they talk about an X gene. What is an X but a cross? Who was who was sacrificed or who was killed on a cross or who who what what is depicted or who is depicted being, you know, uh, put on a cross? Christ. So I wonder if what they were talking about with that Christ is with that cross is a cross between two different species. And that crucifix is representing the cross between one thing and another thing.
perhaps the horizontal part of the cross represents our DNA and the vertical line on the cross represents another creature's DNA. So it's crossed together. You ever heard of cross-pollination between plants and flowers? I remember it when I was in uh, sixth grade in high school. We had to learn about Gregor, Gregor Mendel, who was said to be the father of modern genetics. You know, in the white Western Greco-Roman world, he's the father of genetics. He came up with that pundit square where you have capital T, T, or, or on the top of the square, and then capital B, uh, and lowercase b on the the vertical side of the square. It's like a, a like a, a four squared square. You probably heard of this pundit square, and then you would just like bring the different uh, the T and the lower. You'll you, you'll just look up pundit square. I don't know how many of you have ever paid attention in middle school or intermediate school science. But we learned about this whole thing about cross-pollination. If you cross-pollinate a white flower with a red flower, you're pretty much going to get a pink flower. That's the new species of flower. So you really think they stopped at flowers? You, you just think they just do... Uh, cross pollinations with or cross genetics with just things of the plants or the plant kingdom you think they don't go over to the animal kingdom and do the same thing so getting back to the whole thing of calling this sex and species is that as a man if I have sex with this woman over here and my sperm cell hits her egg cell that's a cross it's not a cross between species, but it's more like a cross between uh, bloodlines, for example. Or let's say, okay, I'm a black man and then I have sex with a, uh, I don't know, a, a Japanese woman. And I impregnate her. So now there's a cross going on between black and Japanese. It becomes a black and these baby. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we already know that black genes are the, the dominant trait. So, you know, say it's not really a cross where it's like you know, a 50-50 cross. It'll probably be more like maybe like an 80-20 cross based on the dominance of my genetics versus this Japanese woman's genetics. So the baby is not going to come out more light-skinned than dark. It's going to come out darker, and light, darker than light-skinned. You know what I'm saying? So we already know about that type of crossing, you know what I'm saying? 23, uh, you know, according to Canon Genetics, you know what I'm saying, or the regular central dogma, excuse me, central dogma of genetics, 23 of my chromosomes and 23 of her chromosomes come together to create a 46 chromosome new baby, a black and ease baby. And it doesn't even have to be where we're going across different ethnicities. It could be me, me as a black man and then another black woman. So she'll probably have DNA that I don't and I'll have DNA that she doesn't. Even though you can say that we all kind of go back to common ancestors though. You know what I'm saying? So what if it's just really incest but it's just far or few, it's, it's like very far removed. You know how they say like you're you're a cousin, but you're a far removed cousin, like you're a second or third cousin. 
well, what if this woman that I had sex with and made pregnant and had a baby with, what if she's my uh, 8,226th cousin? You know what I'm saying? That far removed. So then we come together again and then we cross. It's my, the sperm of the genetics of my sperm versus the, with the genetics of her egg. Crossing. But what if are we talking about species crossing though? Because the first thing I, I would think when you hear that, the first thing that I would think about is the uh, island of Dr. Moreau. You know what I'm saying? That movie with um, uh, Marlon Brando and uh, Val Kilmer came out in the 90s. And this, you know, this mad scientist had an island out in the Pacific or, or uh, Pacific or wherever he was in, on that island. And he was just really being a mad geneticist, just really crossing DNA with different animals, human DNA with all these different creatures coming out with these Frankenstein monsters, these quote unquote abominations like you half human, half cheetah, you a half human, half wolf, half human, half um, rat or something like that. So I think that's kind of like a gross reflection of what I'm talking about. Like that right there would be malignant. That would be cancerous. That would be unnatural. But what if we're talking about a supernatural type of gene splicing? You use that word, splicing. What if all the uh, genetic engineering and gene splicing they do in all these laboratories in the Western world or wherever they do it is actually just a gross reflection of what's supposed to happen on the supernatural level in the microcosmic part of your being. Hmm? Think about it. Think about it, man. Think about it. And what I'm saying is alchemy is exactly that. That's exactly what alchemy is. Because didn't we just establish that genetics comes out of alchemy? If it did not, why would this author Judy K. King put a whole you know, few chapters in her book talking specifically about alchemy? And how it relates to, ge to, to the uh, genetics. And if you just go back and look at all those alchemical illustrations, perhaps what you're looking at is within inside of, is inside of a cell. Let's even deal with uh, embryo, uh, embryogenesis or ontogenesis, where that's the study of the development of a fetus within the womb after conception. So when you when a sperm cell hits that egg cell, it's now considered a what? A zygote, a fertilized egg, a, a zygote. And then from what we were taught in genetics, then that zygote starts to divide into mitosis. It keeps doing this divide. 
one becomes two, the two become four, four become eight, eight becomes 16, 16 become 32, 32 become 64, 64 become 128, 128 become 20, uh, 256, 256 become 512, 512 become 1,024 uh, 1, and so on and so forth, which is directly indicated by the exponent of two, or using two and doing an exponent on it. So if you do uh, two to the fifth power, 2 to the 10th power, 2 to the 20th power, you can see how mathematics and biology or genetics have a, a cross or they have a, a correlation. So that would be considered a transdisciplinary approach to mathematics and biology. Instead of just studying mathematics as, you know, in its narrow um, uh, scope, you can put it with biology and see if you see connections between these two different academic fields of study. That's that's the hallmark of transdisciplinary approaches to, to learning. We see how in math that these mathematic equations are actually encoding biological processes. But that's how but that's all about how far you want to go into you know learning about the fractions or the fractures of knowledge and putting them all together for a holistic perspective and doing the whole transdisciplinary approach. It depends on how far you want to go with it. You know what I'm saying? But the reason I brought up the whole thing about embryogenesis is because there was the first just the fertilized zygote and then it split into all the trillions of cells you now have in your body. So what about that master cell, that first cell, that first zygote before it divided? That will be considered your master cell of your body. That's the master cell. So when you look into alchemy, when you when you study these, because a lot of these illustrations are usually enclosures, meaning that it's depicting something within an enclosure, whether it be a beaker, you know, like a science beaker or a... Um, a circle is usually something is usually enclosed in a circle or enclosed within the zodiac circle. There's always some sort of enclosure of the illustration. Why is that? In some sort of glass beaker or some sort of glass globe or some sort of circle that surrounds the entire picture or the illustration of the thing that is focused on in the illustration of, of alchemy. Why is that? Is that enclosure symbolic of the cell in your body? Because now we're looking at a divine process happening at the microscopic genetic microbial part of your body. Which you're not going to learn in modern day uh, mainstream Greco-Roman gatekeeper science. They're not going to teach you that. They're going to give you this physiological um you know what i'm saying unimaginative approach to this science that you're studying where if you were to put it together with alchemy or you saw how it related to alchemy or has its connections to alchemy you would look at the cell in, in a different way whatever the, the picture the depictions that you're that they're giving you of these microscopic organisms isn't the the correct way to look at it what if you got to look at it from the illustrations in alchemy?
because look at the Phoenix. The Phoenix is one of the most common uh, symbols in the alchemical process. It represents the Rubido stage of alchemy because there's three stages of alchemy. There's sometimes four or five, but usually it's just like three phases. So it's the Nigrito phase, which is the black phase, the Albedo phase, which is the white phase, and then the Rubido phase, which is the, the red phase. So the Phoenix, so you have a crow representing the black phase, swans represent the white phase, and then the Phoenix represents the red phase. So what does the Phoenix actually mean? What does that actually entail? What does that actually, what, what's going on with that? What does that actually symbolize? Because we always say like the Phoenix, you know, represents something being reborn from the ashes. Like something, rebirth, regeneration, resurrection from the ashes, right? But what's being resurrected from the ashes? What does that really look like? Because I strongly suspect, I strongly know that that phoenix represents a new creature. It's a new thing. And then they even have the symbol of the double-headed phoenix, which actually adds more uh, meaning to what it is. Because if you look at it from the, the perspective of a double-headed phoenix, it means that there was two different things that were merged into one, that were spliced together, that were cross-pollinated, cross that were crossed together. Let's go back to mathematics again. Because they made you do your time. You had to rem memorize your timetables, right? 2 times 2, 4. 2 times 3, 6. 2 times 8, 16. 3 times 9, 27. 6 times 7, 42. 12 times 7 is 84. You know what I'm saying? You had to memorize your timetable, right? Your multiplication. What if the multiplication is also symbolic of a biological genetic process? So if I cross 6 with 8, I get 48. Instead of adding 6 with 8, I just get 14. So there's something going on where, you know, instead of adding these, these two integers together, which is 6 and 8, to get 14, we do another process to cross them together. We're not adding them together, we're crossing them with each other. Just like you would cross one species with another. Or one ethnicity or another. Or one set of genes to another set of genes. You're crossing them together. So when I do 6 times 8 equals 48. I get an exponential increase in value. As opposed to if I just added 8 plus 6 and get 14. So if I wanted more of something. Would I go with the 14? Which is the sum of 6 and 8? Or would I go with the, um, the product of 6 and 8, which is 48? So do you want 48 of this or do you want 14? Would you take $48 or would you take $14? What would you take? I would take $48. You know what I'm saying? So that whole multiplication thing and then them even using the X symbol or the cross symbol... To indicate a multiplication, that is an indication of splicing, 
of cross genetic, of crossing something together to do an increase. So you looking at Jesus on a cross or the Christ on a cross, what if you're looking at a divine mathematical equation? A supernatural mathematic, a supreme mathematical equation. Yeah, you may laugh because you did not do your math. Like Erica Badu said, you ain't do your math. And we going. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do a spiel about uh, the nation of gods and earth too, because that the whole that Erica uh, Erica Badu song on and on is actually a nations of God a five percent song. I was born on the water with three dollars and six dimes. That's three dollars and sixty cent. That's three sixty. She's talking on some. Uh, uh, 5% um, information. You know, you got to do your 360, you do your 120, your 120, and your 120 to become 360 degrees of perfected knowledge. What degree you on, God? You know what I'm saying? But they took an actual cross from this mathematic, um, this divine mathematics and put it in Christianity. In fact, the whole C-H within, um, or is it a C-H-R? It's either the C-H or the C-H-R in the word Christ. Is actually from the Greek um, symbol or the Greek alphabet, which is an X. It's a cross. You see how I'm making these connections here? Because people even say with Christmas, they just put an Xmas. It's just Xmas. Like without spelling out the word Christ, you just put the X there. And it's X dash M-A-S. Is this universe not on the principle of mathematics? Did someone, I forgot who said that. Mathematics is the language of the universe. Who said that? They'll probably attribute it to a white man, but... We know somebody black said it first. I'm going to just have to say that off the bat. I know that's where they got it from anyway. So is not mathematics the language of the universe? What if mathematics is also the language of your biology and your gen and your genetics? So if I cross eight with six, I get 48. What if I cross human DNA with this divine um, microscopic creatures DNA and get an exponential increase in the new creature because the phoenix also represents immortality it represents a permanent phase or a permanent um, cross between the lower half and the upper half look at the star of David that's the same thing it's a cross it's a cross between the upward triangle and the downward triangle it's a cross you want to deal with the new age stuff I'll let's deal with the new age stuff your uh, your lower self and your higher self crossing together look at the centaur 
the centaur is a representation of that in Greek mythology. It's your higher self, your higher thinking, um, uh, mental man self, and then your lower horse uh, instinctual primal self. It's a cross. Your lower self and your higher self crossing together. Look at the rebus in alchemy, the symbol of the rebus, where the rebus is, is usually shown as a man and woman on who a man's head and a, a woman's head on the same body. Just like the uh, the uh, double-headed phoenix. Other illustrations depict an older man and a younger man sharing the same body. So it's an older man's head and a younger man's head on the on, on the same body. So what is this? What is this connection? What what is this thing? This rebus? What is it representing? It's a cross between two different genomes, a cross between two different species to create a new species. So the rebus, double-headed phoenix, the phoenix itself, these are all symbols of a new species. Right there, starting with the genetic level of the organism. So when you have sex and you impregnate a woman or get impregnated by man, what's actually, that's a symbol, that symbolizes the cross between the human DNA and the divine DNA. Of the other creature DNA. So sex is a symbol of a evolvability or, a, or an evolvability of the human species. We are incomplete at this moment until we cross genomes with that microscopic creature within us to become the new thing. The new species. That is the actual drive in your body the instinct to merge the urge to merge let's go to the movie Lucy where Morgan Freeman old old ass up in there you know what I'm saying trying to spit science you know what I'm saying think it was within like the first few minutes of the movie yeah the first few minutes of the movie he's talking about how Every species on earth has like a choice to make. Will it go towards immortality or reproduction? What path is it on? Reproduction or immortality? So which path are you on? Because that's either your sexual energy is going to go one way or it's going to go the other. What is your genetic intentionality? This is what was talked about in the book Balls of Fire by Judy K. King. Your genetic intentionality. What is your genes right now intending for you in this lifetime? Because if you're not going to achieve immortality, you're pretty much going to use your sexual energy to reproduce yourself with, a, with the opposite sex. And that's a form of immortality because you get to be continued. Your genetic information is continued in your offspring, or at least half of it is. 
So half of your genetics get to go into your offspring. So by that, it's almost like passing the baton. Like technically when you give birth, you have, you can now die. After, after your offspring comes into play, that's your cue to die. There's a lot of creatures in existence that go by that, that protocol. Soon after they give birth, they die. They don't exist after the birth of their offspring. They die off. Because it would seem excessive, wouldn't it? It's like, okay, I just gave birth to my offspring. What more do I have to do? I just passed the baton on. But obviously for us in the human society or the, you know, our human species, we don't do that. Not for the most part. Because we continue to have babies or whatever. We grow old and whatever, you know what I'm saying? We have to raise the child. You know, you just, because that, that happens for some families. Like the mom died during pregnancy or uh, during, excuse me, during labor. She died or she died at a very, you know, your mom probably died at a very young age or young, you know, when you were a child. Or you didn't know who your father was or your dad died while you were pregnant or while, you know, you were in your mother's womb. Because from a reproduction standpoint, he already fulfilled his sexual intention, his genetic uh, intentionality. He gave birth. He continued his, his, his genes. So what more do we need him for <laughs> in a biological, a strict biological species sense? You don't. Let's say you was born with all your survival instincts intact soon as you came out of your mother's womb. What more would you need your parents for? You wouldn't need them for anything else after that. Because again, some species in this world follow that protocol. But then what you can also choose is immortality. And that's where the alchemy comes in. Because that's what they're trying to achieve. When they talk about the universal medicine or the elixir that gives eternal life. And then they try to make it seem like it was more of a actual substance that you can create in a laboratory or something. What if I told you that the laboratory is your body? So you go from the laboratory in the microscopic levels of your body to the brick and mortar laboratory out in a science lab somewhere where both there's genetic engineering going on in both levels of reality or both levels of existence. So even in, in this day right now, they're trying to find out a way to extend human life, anti-aging products, anti-aging type of um, applications. What food should I eat so I can live longer? What drugs should I take so I can live longer? What is the key to immortality? What is the true fountain of youth? These scientists are out in these laboratories trying to find that out. And doing it in a malignant way, in a gross way. Now knowing that genetic intentionality, you go back to your own genome, that's a choice you can make. You can choose to be an immortal creature. And be a permanent fixture within this reality or in this cosmos. That's what the Christ is. The Christ is, or the Messiah 
is an actual creature for us to become. Where you die to your humanity in order to become this new thing. This God, whatever you want to call it, this Christ, this God. Homo superior, instead of saying homo sapiens, homo maximus. I think the X-Men story used that term before, or homo superior or homo maximus. I'm pretty sure they use both of them in some iteration of the X-Men uh, comic book, or the, the uh, X-Men story. Even when I was talking about X-Men Evolution, that uh, animated series, um, I think is, is now on Disney Plus that I've seen it. An apocalypse is trying to activate the X gene in the human race. You know, using his ancient technology. What if the X gene is the Christ gene? Why would they call it XG? Why would they call them X-Men? We're talking about Christs here. Because you think what the Christ is is what Christianity told you it was, didn't you? You used that theology, that they, that theological context that they gave you to see or to, to know what actually what, what is a Christ. That's a species of being. And so the X-Men are the Christs. They are the new creature. That, you know, saying within that storyline, the humans of the world fear and hate. Yes. So if we extend the, the metaphor, you know, how, you know, people know about Stan Lee creating Professor, Professor X to be like a Martin Luther King type of character and Magneto, Eric Lyncher within, you know, X-Men to be based around uh, Malcolm X. So what if these mutants that they're talking about is actually black people, the melanoid, melanated Nubian race? What if we're a domesticated version of the Christ that we're supposed to be? And the alchemy is the key to it. Huh? Let's look at the nation of gods and earths, the 5% nation. Let's look at some things that perhaps a lot of them probably don't even know. When I say God and earth, what do you think I'm really talking about? When I use the terms God and earth. Am I talking about the spook in the sky and then, you know, the, the ground that you walk on, like the, the grass and the, the trees and the dirt? What am I really talking? What is the code term uh, God and Earth really talking about? Because there's another cross going on here. What's the cross? God and Earth merging together. But what is God and Earth really talking about? What if God is the divine creature or divine entity within you? And the earth is the human. Why in a lot of these illustrations in alchemy, they show one snake with wings biting the tail of another snake without wings. So the snake or dragon or serpent with wings, that's the God. The snake without wings is the earth. Because wings represent spirituality. It represents the spirit realm. Wherever you see wings in any type of iconography or any type of artwork or any type of 
religion or whatever. The wings represent the spirit realm. It represents the highest level of matter. So the highest level of matter is energy and the most condensed form of energy is matter. So when you see that depiction, is is usually the Ouroboros, um, where it's like a double dragon Ouroboros. It's the first, the top dragon has the wings, and the bottom dragon doesn't have wings. What do you think they're talking about? The spirit being and the earth being crossing together, coming together. There are genomes or genetics merging together. So the nation of gods and earths is really a secret meaning about our genetic immortality our genetic intentionality to become this god creature so when they talk about the sons of god uh having sex with or mating with the the daughters of men they're talking about this divine creature crossing genetics with this earth creature we are the nephilim or at least that's what we are to become That's us, the God creatures. Because when they say nations of gods of earth, they're, you know, they, for, for their meaning, they're talking about the men and women within the black race or just within their organization. But this is how we understand what the divine feminine and the ma uh, sacred masculine is all about. Your body, the human race is feminine. You are a physical being. That means you are feminine. If it's physical, it's feminine. If it's spiritual, it represents divine or sacred masculine. Go back to the triangle. Go, go, go back to the Star David. They keep calling that the Star David when it's a Merkaba. Look at the Merkaba. How the upward triangle represents what? Masculinity. The downward triangle represents what? Femininity. And when they cross together, you get a divine masculine, divine feminine cross, a, a, a conjunction, a merging together. But on a mundane level, it represents the female and the male species. But on a spiritual level or an occult level, esoteric level of understanding, it represents these spiritual creatures and these earthbound creatures crossing together which is supposed to happen right there within the dna of your body that's what alchemy is all about that's what that's the process that's what's going on because from out of that divine science comes genetics genetics is nothing but alchemy without this uh, esoteric and occult meanings and spiritual supernatural meanings behind it. That's what's going on. That's what's happening in the process of alchemy. That's the true alchemy. And for them to say that you get a universal solvent or a alkahest or an elixir or the philosopher's stone or alchemical gold out of the process. They're talking about the substances that probably are produced when you become that uh, God creature.
that spiritual human creature, that hybrid. And we already said um, in this book, Balls of Fire, uh, A Science of Life and Death, right there on the first page of the book talks about a quantum hybrid. Quantum being another uh, term or a code term for divine or spiritual or supernatural. So, what are you really, what is your sexual energy really here for? What are you using your sexual energy here for? Looking back at the alchemy, when you see the man and the woman sharing the same body and it's two heads, it's a man's head and a woman's head. And then I also told you that some depictions have an older male head and a younger male head. Is that somehow something about homosexuality? Is that what that means? No, it doesn't mean that. It's talking is a secret code for a genetic merging of two different species. One species plays the female role. The other species plays a dominant male role. So that spiritual species plays that dominant male role. Our human DNA or our human genome plays the female role. So again, when I have sex with a woman and we have a birth, we birth a child, that process is symbolic of me becoming or her becoming the divine creature. So alchemy is actually the sacred sex. That's sacred. That's the sacred sexual exchange. That's the sacred energy exchange. Otherwise, you get the savage energy exchange where I can just bust a nut in this female right now. She can get pregnant and have my child. Tantra. We can even have a, a, a whole episode talking about Tantra. So there may even be a Sex and Species Part 3 of this podcast where we just talk about Tantra and how that's really about this science because Tantra is always, almost always related to alchemy. Type up Tantric Alchemy right now. You'll have millions of websites talking about it. Or tantric yoga. None of this is about having sex with another person or stretching your limbs out so you can be more flexible. That's not what yoga and tantra. This stuff is really all about the human genome tying to the divine creature's genome at the microscopic level of the human's being. So turning that endosymbiotic relationship into a complete merger. On a DN or on a microscopic microbial level. So let me just end it right here because we had, we almost at the 60 minute mark. This is Ether Realist Podcast with Alex Will 64. Catch me on my website, um, ether-ins.teachable.com. Go to my link tree slash Alex Will 64. You can cash at me at uh dollar sign alex will 64 my website uh acrosunsum.com sign up for spiritual warfare training protect yourself from any type of spiritual attacks or any type of spells hexes curses or whatever you can protect yourself on that level 
we gonna do a part three with sex and species. I'm just letting you know right now. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna teach you how how you should be out here using your sexual energy. 